Welcome. We're here today with Mina Puri, who is uh, an Ayurvedic practitioner. And I met Mina through the Ann Arbor Wellness Coalition, where there are just lots of really cool people doing cool things. So Mina's bio is that a chance yoga class uh, taken over 25 years ago pulled Mina toward her calling of becoming a yoga teacher and then 10 years ago studying Ayurvedic medicine. So like all of us, her life has been filled with countless challenges that she has turned into blessings. Some of us are still working on that, but <laughs> <laughs> Mina just kind of glows with that, like a, a mask. No, I am too. <laughs> Mina is someone who walks her talk and is the real deal. Her dedication to helping others is inspired by her father, Dr. C.R. Puri, and her conviction that you can heal is fueled by her own life experiences. So we'll dig a little bit into that. Mina believes our illnesses are a result of our unresolved stories and traumas and has turned this into the foundation, her forte for helping clients to heal deeply. She is an ambassador and practitioner member of the Association of Ayurvedic Professionals of North America and the author of the number one bestseller, Healing Your Relationship with Food, The Ayurveda Answer. When she's not teaching yoga, leading retreats and workshops, working with clients, or planning behind the scenes, Mina enjoys dancing, singing, and doing anything outdoors. And we're lucky that we live in Michigan and can do that a lot, um, except that I hear it's going to get really cold this week. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mina, I warned you that we like to start every, every uh, Q&A session with the same question, which is, um, what's your kale? What do you do on a daily basis that really nourishes you like a superfood? Doesn't have to be a food. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me here and just hearing my bio. It's like, wow, did I? Yeah, so it was just interesting to hear that from you. I use <laughs> my own bio. <laughs> Thank you. you. So, <laughs> I did all that. <laughs> I love your question, what is your kale? It's really, um, you know, the, the kale part is interesting. So my kale my, is my daily routine is uh, no matter how, you know, if I wake up early or wake up late, but I start with um, like a hot glass of water with lemon or honey. I sit down, I, you know, take a minute to set my intention, do affirmation, or I just kind of collect my day and I build a foundation for the day. Then I do do some it varies. Right now, I'm doing this 40-day challenge of mantra chanting and some yoga kriyas. And it's not long. It's short. Uh, and that's when then I move on to my day. And that's something I do on a daily basis. So whether it's mantra chanting or moving, there's something in the morning I do. I don't get out of bed and just jump into activity. Mm. In the morning, is like my time. I secure it. I don't attend early morning networking meetings. I'm like, no, you're not asking me to be there at seven o'clock. It's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Good boundaries. <laughs> I am just not doing that. So that's what I do daily. It kind of sets my day. Mm -hmm. Do the same thing before going to bed. Mm -hmm. uh, whether I do it in bed or before I've gotten into bed, it just, you know, take a, take a minute to make sense of the day, to, uh, you know, take a little inventory of the day and, you know, really then realize when we take an inventory, it's like, wow, this really was quite an effortless day. 
And because we don't think about it, we focus on all the obstacles, but we don't really think about everything that went well. Mm. So it's always like, you know, the, the gratitude is then natural. It's like, thank you, God. What a blessed day it was. Yeah. It doesn't take long. It's just my intention. I begin the day that way and I end the day. Oh, that. I love that. I love the sort of bookends that you've created. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've had, I've done over a year's worth of these uh, interviews and it's been really fun because a lot of people say that they have a morning routine and they go through what they do and most of them are different, but uh -huh. nobody up until now has said, oh, and there's an, a second part to this. A second part. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that you, you can reflect back on the day and say, oh, it's actually been a really good day, a really blessed day, because I think that one question I always start my health coaching clients with is what's new and good. And they're always like, what? I was coming here to complain about how terrible things are. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really, it's a nice way to end the day because you're turning it back to the positive and that's, that's just beautiful. Thank you. Right. So yeah, I have to ask you, you, you really just glow with good health and, and energy, but oh. there must be something, there must be the opposite of the kale. The kryptonite is what for you? Do you have any kryptonite? The opposite of kale, uh, what I, you know, I love salty, crunchy, deep fried food. <laughs> and you know what fits that category is the Indian snack food. It's I was just, just going to ask you whether you had, there's a, Oh there's my a, God. Oh, it's, the, you know, they, knew. they, I mean, they could not have made that snack any better. There's so many different varieties. So yes. every now and then I'll get that and I make chai. Oh. I love doing that or I'll watch something on TV, sit in front of Netflix and I'll tap my chai or have that junky food. And so I will do that once in a while, but I, you know, it's rarely a case where I'm just going to finish the whole bag. Yeah. Actually take it in a bowl, in a container, take my little snacks and thing. And I, this is my relaxation time. Yes. Oh, I love that. It's not the best thing for me, but you know, I every don't. Every once in a while. Every day. <laughs> I need to live. <laughs> so is that what, what's called chat? Is that, is that what it's chat called? Chat or it's called bujia or okay. it's. That's, it's, it's savory snacks, and they're yeah. so darn tasty. Do you know the restaurant in Ann Arbor that does those? It's not a restaurant. You can go to any Indian store. Well, no, I, I was going to, what I'm saying is that there's a restaurant in Ann Arbor that makes Indian street food, and they make it healthy. Oh, you know what? That used to be, um, what's that place? Chatke Hat. Yes. Are they still? Yeah. No, they... that's, that's a different kind of a snack food. Like it's oh. a is like comes into a dish uh, make make it like super healthy i loved it but they closed the store oh i was wondering about that because it's been so a few this, these these snacks that i'm referring to they come in those shiny plastic yeah bags that you want to open <laughs> your version your version of potato chips my version of potato <laughs> chips it's so darn good and i've gotten my friends addicted to them i gave oh, yeah. them a christmas gift so they're like Oh my God, where did you get that? I Why did you do this to me? <laughs> oh gosh. That's great. All right, so now we know your deep, dark secret, your kryptonite. Yes, you do. Those little yummy snacks. <laughs> so tell us um, how you came to be an Ayurvedic practitioner. I sort of skimmed the surface in your bio, but I want to hear more. Um. So I actually, my background is in um, biochemistry. 
I went to school biochemistry with the intention of going into med school. Um, it didn't happen. It didn't. I went to schools, interviewed, and I just it it there was no draw. Mm. So because I needed to make a living, I went and became a chartered accountant. I was in Canada. Uh huh. And because that's something that I could work and study at the same time. So I had this thing in me that whatever I'm going to do, I want to go do it all the way. Like just becoming a accountant wasn't good enough. I wanted to understand it all the way until there was nothing else to understand. And I now I know there's no such thing. More you know, less you know. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, long story short, then I, you know, moved from Canada to here and um, I came across yoga, which was, you know, it was just fitting. Like I, I knew it and I thought, People are actually learning that. Don't you know that? So there was a first yoga teacher training that the teacher put out, and I'm like, yeah, me. And I started teaching, and you know, I got reviews from it. It was like the bells are ringing. People want you back in the class, and I had no training in it. It just was more commonsensical than not. Hmm. And um, so, anyways, I did that. I did that, and then you know. I also worked as I did a CPA when I came to the US because it had to, you know, work here. And, but it was just, you know, there's a saturation point with that kind of work. And, um, especially this time of year, <laughs> especially this time of the year. And uh, so I, when I, through teaching, I started teaching yoga from one class. I was teaching, I moved into a home which just naturally had a walkout. It was like it, it found me really. Oh, yeah. And I thought, well, okay. I taught like 15 classes a week and my people were crawling wall to wall because there was no other yoga in town. And then, you know, people are always asking about, I will teach like cooking classes, not with Ayurveda sense, but just Indian cooking. People uh -huh. did. And through the yoga, I started teaching people like stress management and individual counseling just through through yoga and then I thought I really want to do something more because it's not just a little advice or a little common sense things I'm sharing with you so then I thought I need to do something more medical something more recognized so I can help people more and then a friend mentioned hey have you looked into Ayurveda and I said what Ayurveda is here it totally I'm kind of you know innocently find things yeah Totally forgot about Ayurveda. I left it in India. I thought my dad was an Ayurveda doctor and an, you know, ophthalmologist and all the other things. I kind of left it there. Never even, you know, I'm like, really? Then I started looking and I went into dive into head first, found a school I was in. And so it's almost like Ayurveda found me. And when I found it, I remember after my first class, I was coming home, I was squealing in the car. I was so overjoyed. I was screaming. I would do homework and I would be jumping for joy. And my kid is like, mom, why are you so excited about doing homework? Because it was so fitting. It was like, finally, I could, someone cares me. Finally, someone thinks the way I do. Yeah. So that's how I came across. It was just really coming full circle. So I feel like these things found me. I wasn't even 
Yeah, and it's almost like you keep coming home to things. I keep coming home to that. It found me and I'm like, well, okay, thank you very much. And this is just how life is. Yeah. Things find me. And um, and then, you know, then I knew it was just, it just, this is what I'm meant to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. I love that. I, I very often talk with, with my clients about that feeling that, you know, when you want to do something, what sort of an energy is involved in it? Is it a really pushing, like grinding and hustling energy, or are you just mm-hmm. sort of flowing towards it? And the best, we, for some reason, I think, especially in the West, we think that what is worth something is something you really have to work for. It's this sort of Puritan ethic of you really have to work for it if you want it, and then it's worth it. But it's amazing how really if you go more like the feminine flow kind of energy towards something is much easier and you get there and it's still wonderful. (laughs) Still wonderful. And really one thing that there's a gap in the Western thinking and the Eastern philosophy that life really happens at much more subtler levels. Yes. We believe that we make life happen fine is good for the ego but we don't make life happen yeah we actually come in the way when we connect with the subtler field and connect that with that part of us that's very subtle but most powerful um life happens from that place you know our efforts becomes the explanation it's the explanation but it's not the reason it's not how it happens And sometimes I feel like our efforts sort of get in the way. Our efforts are actually throwing up barriers. They get in the way. And, you know, sharing this story with you, just I've often said to people that your deepest knowing or your deepest prayer is the one you don't even know. I didn't know I was looking for Ayurveda. Yeah. I didn't know I was looking for something to complete this. that's what I was really deeply looking for because when I found it, it was a fit. It was like coming home. It's like, yes, no more looking. I found it. Yeah. So our prayers are the one that we don't even know. And our deepest desires are something that we don't know, but the universe reads them. Yes. Oh, I love that. Oh, I've got goosebumps. Yeah. That's really great. <laughs> That's wonderful. So I, I have a tough assignment for you next. I need you to tell me in 20 words or less what Ayurveda is. Just kidding about the 20 words. But <laughs> can you give us an overview of what Ayurveda means and what the practice of it is? So Ayurveda translated into, you know, literal translation is science of life. What that tells you that it involves the whole of life because the whole of life affects the health, right? Our health affects life, our life affects health. So these things are intertwined and are separate from one another. How we live, how we think, how we socialize, how we are in the world, how we are in the family, how we eat, um, it all affects ultimately our sense of well-being and our health so it's not that um our health is not separate from how we live so when we look at the western model it's like okay i've got a you know a sore tummy my stomach hurts so here's a pill yeah and pill works until it doesn't yeah and then the soreness goes to the knee and then well here's a pill for the knee so it's really going deeper than the surface symptoms, than the surface. Mm-hmm. 
and going into the causes of what caused the sore tummy, what caused the sore knee. Mm -hmm. So when we look at the deeper causes, people, you know, you may think, well, yeah, let's look at the food because it's what I'm eating. Mm -hmm. Of course it is. Until you realize you are doing things that you know should not be doing, but you keep on doing. So food is not the culprit. It's your choices are the culprit. Mm -hmm. So why do I continue to do things that I know are not good for me, but I keep on doing? Then we go into the, our subconscious beliefs. We go into the subconscious beliefs. We know that this, you know, this self-sabotaging, this um, little inability to perhaps to do what we believe to do or what we know to do is not just limited to our choices and food, but this is how we do our work. This is how I handle my relationships. This is how I handle my home. So then that, that those belief patterns then are really permeating the whole of your life. Then it's like, okay, well, go a little deeper. Where did the belief patterns come from? And so we kind of, kind of unravel and go, well, you know, when I was growing up and da 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 you know, we all have a story. And this is where they come from. Well, you know, now I'm stuck with this. Now understanding Understanding what to do with those belief patterns and how to shift the paradigm and how to create new mental emotional structures that are going to help you go in the direction that you now want to go is understanding. And, you know, in that work, everything shows up. It's so, you know, when you're looking at the deeper cause, deeper cause is not a point in time that, oh, going to the food, here's the deep cause. Until you realize, ah, that's not the deep cause. Then you go deeper. Then you continue to go deeper, go deeper, go deeper. So ultimately, we come to a place of these, um, these beliefs that are, you know, a dollop of it's given to every human being, you know, evaluating our self-worth. We're not worthy. We're not good enough. We have done something to screw up our life. It's been given to every human being, no matter how good they look, put together and it doesn't matter. It's, it's, that's the ultimate. And then where is that coming from? Is that disconnect from that part of you, which is infinite. Yeah. Disconnect from that part of you, which is a true self with the capital S. Because at the core essence, we are whole. We are pure love. We are pure light. We move away from that. We get disease we get closer and closer to that we align mm. and then that alignment that connection shows up in our physical health in our mental health in how we live what we do how we carry out our relationships what our places in the world so that's the science of Ayurveda so it's really a study of consciousness yeah from the physical all the way to the non-physical and how to merge the two, how to bring the non-physical into the physical way of being so life makes greater sense. Hmm. Wow. So that's why under the umbrella of Ayurveda, so it's not like I, you know, I give people herbs. Right. No, herbs are a small part of it because they're so, I don't know what's gonna show up for them. Everything shows up for them. Ultimately, what they really believe and think, it shows up because I can give them things to do, they won't do it. There's a lot of resistance. There's a lot of fight with that. Yeah. Um, so the herbs and the food and, and sort of looking. Herbs and the food and the lifestyle. Tools, 
to get to yeah. the actual to get to awesome. the deeper people yeah. exactly people begin to do that and they realize and then they discover more mm. you go places like oh my god there's so much here then what happens you begin to connect the dots you connect the, you begin to connect the dots from your beliefs to your physical symptoms there are no mistakes yeah okay and then teaching them teaching them really how to use this body how to use the mind how to use this inner tools to better their life better their health so that's the work so it's a it's a big umbrella, but it act, it's a very cohesive umbrella because everything affects everything else. Yeah. And it's so teaching really, people how to connect. Yeah. So there's really this belief that your body is, can heal itself. And, Absolutely. Uh, it's built yeah. to heal. I love that. Yeah. That's great. So say a little bit about the tools that you use. What sort of what sort of modalities do you bring into it when you so you you work with somebody and you really work on finding like where did this where did this belief come from? You look into their past traumas, you you figure out where their beliefs come from. What are the tools you use to shift them back toward their center, their health? So the tools that I use is really kind of giving them the right kind of knowledge, which is my insight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and also it's not something that I give them. It's rather when I lead them to it, mm -hmm. when I ask questions so they can begin to connect the dots. And the many tools, you know, meditations, I can take them into a place. Mm -hmm. You can call it hypnotherapy, but it's, you know, because it's not really hypnotherapy. It's more like they're just relaxed. And I'm asking them to go to a feeling place at that time in their life, what it was like, so they can recall all the details. Mm. So, you know, taking them through the meditations and asking them questions so they can, so they can reveal what there is to be revealed within them. So I can guide them to that place. And then really giving them different ways of looking at something. And I, you know, I get anywhere from somebody who's a plumber from, to somebody who's an executive to a 26-year-old male to a 75-year-old horse rider. So I get a variety of people. And I, in Ayurveda, it's you, very quickly I can figure out what people are all about. Is their constitution, is their, how their body is built, what they think, how they feel, and how they operate. So when I know that, I know what kind of examples or which way. I think I've become pretty good at figuring out the ways in to teach a particular person. Everybody mm. learns in a different way. Yeah. It's not me. I don't have a you know, checklist okay, we're going to do this now, we're going to do that now, we're going to know. So whatever shows up for them, yeah. and things show up. We stir things up a little bit, and more get stirred up, so things show up, so they come to the appointment with this and that, and then I take them another place, which they're ready to go. So it's really understanding. People have different way of thinking, different way of relating. So I think over years, in working with such a variety of people that I have um, I have been successful in trying to show them or give them examples in a way 
that they can understand. Mm. So, and they understand it, and it's important that they understand it, and then they see it. Yeah. When they see it, then that journey, inward journey, becomes very interesting. They begin to connect the dots of their life. It's like, oh, my God, like my life is now beginning to make sense. So that's the beauty of Ayurveda, that it's not just if somebody has a medium built, so there's a pitta predominant, which means, you know, their, their mentality and psychology is they're very sharp-witted and they're very focused. And if they don't get their way, they become really um, irritated. And so they're, you know, and it's, you know, people walk in, I know, I, I, and then when I'm telling them, they're like, how do you know? <laughs> I'm at my house. <laughs> how do you know? And then I just start explaining, I'm like, this is, and they're like, how the heck do you know? Yeah. Because that's the beauty of Ayurvedic science. It just, it shows you things are not, things become pretty clear. Mm-hmm. When you know how somebody operates, how somebody thinks and feels and what they believe in and how they do their life, that gives me an insight on how to guide them to where they need to go. So everybody is guided differently. Everybody you know, I make up meditations because once you have a foundation of a meditation, I come up with ways um, which so they can see. Yeah. So they can see and they can get the results. Yeah. I love this because it just, it really highlights how completely personalized this practice is as opposed yes. to the practice of Western medicine, which you know, the more you read about it, the more you realize like, oh, all these medications were tested on men who are about 5'8 and weigh this much, you know, this, this much. And no wonder they don't work for women. You know? <laughs> um, right, right. So there's just this sort of blanket, like, oh, if this is what you have, then you take this. And, and very often that pill has side effects and you have to take another pill to get rid of the side effects. And it's just this long chain because what they've done is just assumed that everybody is the same. Exactly. So it's not one size fits all approach. And it's, you know, body is, you know, body is what we can see, I can feel it and touch it. That's not what we are. We are a living dynamic organism. So the Western medicine uh, focuses just on the physical body. And it's not that it's not necessary sometimes. If the imbalances have gone too long, the disease have become, has become acute and chronic. And then you do need that. Yeah. But to me, it's a last resort. It's not the first option. We are using it as a first option. And it's really in teaching people how to live, how to, how to think, how, how to understand life, and how to understand who you are, how to develop a connection with that part of you. Then the changes, whether they're dietary or lifestyle, they're naturally coming from, they're internally driven rather than externally imposed. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's so, it, it just really exactly aligns with, with my work as a health coach because really, and, and I want to talk next about your book because you do, I want to, I want to figure out how food gets into this. <laughs> because very often people come to me because I used to be a chef, I have culinary training. And so they think, oh, I need to fix how I'm eating. So yeah. I'll learn how to cook and everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. and very often I say, you know, food is part of it and there's a lot more to it. So let's talk about your relationship with food. Right. So 
that's actually in the title of your book. So tell me more about your book and where that came from. Okay, so um, the I you know the book kind of came about from the back end. What I mean by that is. Um, my coach said, you know, I'm writing a couple of other books which haven't finished. And she goes, finish writing the book. So those books need a little bit more thought and they, because more knowledge has come up. And now I think a little differently. So they're kind of sitting there and I haven't looked back at see how to, right? <laughs> And so then I thought, well, she said, she said, you can do a book in a, in a month. And I thought, well, I know I can do a recipe book in a month. Mm -hmm. So I called a photographer, a friend of mine, photographer. I'm like, I'm going to cook up a storm and made oh, pictures. <laughs> my butter like made nine, 10 things and we took pictures. Okay. And that's actually, you know, giving people recipes is not my thing. I'm like, Google the thing. Yeah. Google it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making it up. And because cooking to me is an art, there's a little bit of a science, but it's an art and it's difficult to teach art in a, ingredient form mm -hmm. from the feel sense. So I did the cook, I, I did the recipes and I wrote a little blurb about it. It was like I was hiding behind what I really wanted to say. So I send it to my editor. She looks at it. She goes, this isn't a book. She goes, this is a book. And she goes, maybe you are not, this is not your forte. And I'm, and that I'm like, no, you don't understand. I love writing. I've been writing for seven years. I do blogs. I'm writing for Milford Times. I was just like making fun of her. I'm like, no, no, I, I have things to say. She goes, then say it. <laughs> Ouch, that's a good coach. So she said, so she, I'm like, oh, darn it. I'm like, darn you, Susan. <laughs> so she gives it to me. The book was only 70 pages. So I'm like, okay. So I wanted to talk about Ayurveda, but even that was too dry for me. I don't, Ayurveda is a tool. It's a way to think. It's a way to live. But why do we need that way to live? So I needed to go into what really is the problem with food. Mm. Why do we have this problem? Why do we have this problem and obsession with food? So then, and then, then it was like, okay, now I know what I got to say, because I'm like, that clicked. It's like, that's what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about Ayurveda, because I'm not Ayurveda expert. There's, there's so many, my teachers, their teachers, those are the experts. I'm just a little guy on the block. I'm, I know nothing about Ayurveda compared to what they know. So who the heck am I? So um, then that made sense to me as to what, what are the problems about food? Why do we even need to worry about it? So that's when I went into the relationship part and the, you know, I didn't, it's like I needed to talk about it, but I was hiding behind it because I was, I don't know what it was. I was hesitant to say it. Imposter syndrome. I had to come to a place. I'm like, I am saying it. It's burning up inside of me. I'm saying it. If you don't like it, then this book isn't for you. Yeah. So I had to come to that place of vulnerability and just saying what I have to say. I questioned a lot. I'm like, oh, I'm talking about eating meat. A lot of my friends eat meat. They're going to think this way, way of me. And I'm like, well, that's just my opinion. Yeah. You have to adapt it. So I became bold about it. And that's how the book came about because I know when people come to me with the nutrition help 
And I have people who have journals written. They write every morsel down and they say, would you like to read this? And I'm thinking, oh no. No. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 I understand. So I actually, I try to get them away from being so analytical. I get them away from Googling everything. And I say, you're creating a lot of stress by, by worrying about everything that you're putting into your mouth. We, it, it can, life is not enjoyable. Yeah. That's what life is meant to be. So then I, then I had to go back what the problems with food are is that actually is created externally because there's so much emphasis on food and recipes. Yes. Because we have become somehow visual person, recipes, pictures, and you know, our greatest aspirations cannot be how everything looks. Yes. Whether we're talking about <laughs> bodies or food you know we have to like let's not get carried away you know one of the first things i tell people who want to quote unquote fix their food is okay first thing yeah. i want to do is delete instagram delete pinterest You're yes there. just stop stop right. those. <laughs> yeah i'm like really the world does not need more recipes yeah okay it's actually is causing a problem you really need just a handful of ingredients to make it's kind of like you know, boredom. We're bored with life. We're bored with food. We're bored with this. It's because the inability of the mind to engage in the right direction. Yeah. So when everything is external, you know, boredom is inevitable because no matter how many recipes I give you, you're going to still yet want another recipe that is fit for that. And um, I'm like, you know, guys, recipes are not God given. They're created by humans. Create them. You don't like it. Throw it away. It's just food. Make another one. Yeah. Play. Mm -hmm. Have fun. So don't get fixated on every ingredient and every this and every that. Just experiment for God's sakes yeah. and figure it out. Yeah. So, so I had to take them deeper into like the, the problems is again, the, the misinformation, the disconnect from food, the, overconsumption, the overobsession yes. with food. And, you know, this whole, the problem is like the guilt and the shame around it. Mm -hmm. The innocent bystander that we use, we have created this relationship, this phantom relationship with the food that we run to it. You know, I'm guilty. I feel bad. So I need, you know, extra cookies to make me feel better. Right. And I beat myself up because I've had that extra cookie. It's like you know, we just, we have created this monstrous, this, this uh, made up relationship with food. Yeah. I love that you said that because I, I very often think that um, people feel very, or they say they feel very out of control around their food. So, oh my mm -hmm. gosh, I can't, you know, if there's an open bag of potato chips, I'll eat the whole thing. I can't open a box of cookies because I'll eat the whole thing. And why am I so out of control around food? And I always, I always think that in a really ironic way, it's something else in your life that's out of control. And because food is so easy to control, that's where you're playing out mm -hmm. what else is, what's going on in another part of your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the relationship really is a reflection of something else. It's something else. Exactly. It really is. You're correct. You're right on. And we have this, um, we, we, to punish or to reward. Yeah. It's neither. Yes. You need to, to nourish yourself. 
And so we have this thing like, oh, if I have a cookie, it's bad. Cookie is not bad. Yeah. Do enjoy a cookie, sit down, savor it and enjoy it. Yeah. Take delight in having it. It's the guilt about it that makes you want to take another cookie because you now need to stuff down that guilt with another cookie. Yes, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, why is it there's like, eat what you need to eat. You yes. have an internal system. Yep. That tells you what you want to eat. Calibrate. It's like, you know, you're full. Just listen to it. Like, enjoy the food. Food is meant to be enjoyed. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I know that you work with a wide, wide range of people, but I'm guessing that you probably have a fair number of women in the sort of 40 and above age group. So is there, are there any sort of commonalities that you've identified among these women, even though every one of them has a different inside? Is there something that you see in common? And what is that? Yeah, what I see in common in women uh, above 40, you know, 40 plus or 50 plus is they they kind of begin to question their life, yes. their careers or their relationships. And they come to this realization that I've got to pay attention to myself. You know, the kids are gone and they've just, you know, they've done it all. They've done the family and the kid thing and the marriage thing, and they've, they've taken care of everyone else. And it's, it's really coming to a place of seeing themselves yeah. and learning what it means to take care of oneself. And it's a wonderful place to be, but it can also be very scary because when they begin to look at the what is of their life, it's not always pleasant. Yeah. They, they, be, they see things that they prefer not to see because they're painful. So it, that, that's the commonality I see, that they are just really are coming to a place of questioning everything. There's a lot of grief yeah. of lost years for many. There's a lot of uh, resentment of having to do a X, Y, and Z with their families or partners or kids. There's a lot of having to give up this, this or that. But it's just really so you know, it shows up in many different ways. And then it's really teaching them. It's really not even teaching. It's kind of unteaching the conditioning. Mm. Yeah, stripping away what we've been stripping told. Stripping away what you've been told. And it's not that it's wrong. It serves, you know, everything serves us in one way or the other. There are no mistakes there. I mean, there, you know, when, when it's taught that, okay, you're not good enough, those women work really hard to prove their worth, and now they're doctors. And I'm like, look, if that belief helped you. Yeah. So be grateful for that. It's just that you don't need that anymore. Mm -hmm. You have already proved yourself that you're good enough. So we're done. We don't need to prove, and now we can just enjoy. Yeah. Um, so it's really shifting their way of thinking. You know, mind is one of the greatest tools. Um, we can teach, we can mold it to show it, to teach it a different way of thinking, a different way of looking. Mm. So it's not what's right or what's wrong. It's like what's working. Yeah. Yeah. I like to say that 
there are two words that are really triggering for me when, when, especially when women talk and one of them is should, I should be doing this. It's like, really? Let's talk about that. And the second one is I used to, I used to be able to run a marathon. I used to be able to do that. I always say, let's find, you may be the kind of person who can run marathons into your fifties and sixties and you may not Mm -hmm. be. So let's find what works for you, what's right for you and what's right for you right now. Because what was right for you in your 20s and 30s may be very different. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So is there, um, is there something that you find particularly exciting or challenging, disturbing, wonderful about working with women in this age group? Um. It's, you know, it's, it's all exciting. Yeah. It's all exciting because everything is an opportunity. Yeah. It's every one of their obstacles is an opportunity for them to truly see themselves and to grow. And um, it's not just with women. I, you know, every client who walks in, there's nothing more um, that one is needing than to feel that. I'm in charge of my life. Yes, agency. I always, I always like to talk right. about agency. We've really, we've given away a lot of that when we, when we listen to coaches and trainers and doctors and teachers. Right. We just constantly right. give away a little piece of what we think is right, what we know yeah. is right. It's just like, here's yeah. it. I'll do whatever you say. <laughs> it's like kind of teaching them how to listen. Yes. Teaching them how to use these wonderful resources. So, you know, like I talked about when you have to be inside of yourself to realize what is it that you need. That's a very different place to be than being told what you need. That's just another external information coming at you and kind of covering your truth. So the truth is we all have answers inside. Yes. Okay. We all really do know. It's just really taking them to that place. So that's the, you know, that's the gratifying part is when, you know, people walk out of here, they come in all stressed and they walk there at peace. It's like, my job is that you don't need me anymore. Yes, my work here is done. (laughs) Okay, get out of here, go live your life. Life isn't that hard, don't make it hard. And, you know, of course you can, because every one of us, no matter how many weaknesses we have, we all have strengths that are many times hidden. Yeah. So it's really pulling that out and showing it to them what they are capable of, because in the middle of all the, you know, tribulations and trials, they have forgotten their strengths. Yes. So build upon those strengths. And of course, you know, of course, you can. Who are you kidding? Yeah. Look at this. Look at that. Look at that. (laughs) Walk away with that. It's just a reminder that, of course, you can. You're built that way. The creator has built each and every one of us with everything we need. Yeah. It's just that we don't know how to find it. So I help them find it. It makes me laugh because one of the one of the things my clients always learn is the first question is always what's new and good, and yeah. the other thing is you know don't use should don't use used to, and the other one is what if you say I don't know if you say I don't know I always say well if you knew the answer what would it be, and they just oh I hate it when you say that. 
<laughs> but it's true because we it is. we're very used to saying, oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You do know. Let's, let's yeah, it just because underneath the I don't know, there's just a whole muddled information. Yes. I don't know how to decipher and how to how to kind of look at it. Yeah. How to view it because it's so overwhelming. Yeah. 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 Ooh, I love that. I love all of this. So <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting towards the end of our time. So I wanted to ask you two more questions. One is if someone is looking uh, to work with an Ayurvedic practitioner, what, what would you recommend they do to find one? And what would be some so-called red flags? Like if you are talking to somebody and they do or say this, it's probably not a good idea to work with them. Okay. So, you know, that's a really good question because um, hmm. I, this is what I, you know, I tell my clients if they, when they're working with, they go, I went to this specialist, I went to this doctor and they walk away feeling anxious and really scared. And, and I said, okay, that's a clue to you. That's a clue to you. This is not a good thing. Yeah. So I will say the same thing to people who are looking for Ayurvedic practitioners. It's like tuning in to what resonates with you, what makes sense to you. Ayurveda makes sense. Mm -hmm. Ayurveda will make you feel empowered. Mm. Ayurveda is not going to throw the book at you because there's no such thing. Yeah, and you're not going to be anxious. Right. And Ayurveda is really going to take you to your own power, to your own knowing. Mm. So when you go to a practitioner and, you know, and that's the experience, that's a red flag. Another red flag is, you know, people, we pick up energy. We don't think that, but we are actually very susceptible to energy and we can, we can sense it. Yeah. A practitioner who is, um, and this is one of those sciences, Ayurveda, you can't, you can't teach it from a book. It's, you have to be, become it. Mm. Okay? The practitioner will carry a vibration or a frequency that, an energy that their presence will make you feel a certain way. If their presence is calming and you understand what they're talking about and they make you feel you. There's that. And there's a practitioner who is not living the talk. Yeah. And they don't have the consciousness or they're just, they may have a fragmented uh, information or knowledge, or if they become too pushy mm-hmm. that, no, you have to do this because I know there's no such thing. Mm. Things, you, you know, we're looking to de-stress. We're not looking to Ayurveda to get someone else tell you what we should do. That's what we're trying to undo. Yeah. Right? So Ayurveda cannot be like that. Mm. You know, when there's ego coming in the play, when you walk away feeling small, like I got hidden more, now I have to yet learn this Ayurveda thing. Mm-hmm. That's a red flag. You should not be feeling this way. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Tune into your own experience of them. Tune into the experience. How did you feel? Did you feel heard? Did you walk away understanding? Did you gain knowledge? Did this make sense to you? 
Did the, you know, did the person seem knowledgeable or were they just bluffing? Yeah. You know, because this, you know, are you aware that there's a big art to it? There's an art to how to use the science. Mm. So in the art part, somebody can just do the talk. But if you're really listening, you know, you can't uh, fake your energy of your presence. You can't fake that. And, and these are the kind of, these are subtler things. Yeah. It's not about, you know, do they have this degree framed on the wall? That soup after their name. (laughs) Right? It's not about that. It's like, and then if you're working with them, are you feeling the changes? Are Mm -hmm. you experiencing? Do you understand? And that's, you know, mostly people know. Mm -hmm. Clue into how you're feeling. If you're not feeling good, can you converse and tell them why? And are they willing to listen Mm -hmm. and really see you? and explain it to you or are they just throwing the book at you and kind of telling you off or you know telling, telling you what they tell everybody else don't understand <laughs> you know are you aware is a is a science that i can explain it to a two-year-old but it's very sophisticated yeah so there's no way that i cannot simplify it to a client to their level of understanding mm. That's so funny. When you said that, it just reminded me there was, and I can't remember what game it was. We had a game at home when I was little and the tagline after the name was a minute to learn a lifetime to master. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know what? Exactly. That's it. Yeah. It should be that simple. And yet there's so much to it. There's so much to it. It's a process. It's a just keep going. That's why you fell into it because you're one of these people that has to go to the end and there is no end. There's no end. I keep on digging and because every time I (laughs) I don't know, I know I told them like, I have to come back like many, many lifetimes and then come and I still never get it. I'm Uh sorry. That's great. So, Mina, do you do work with clients one-on-one virtually as well as in person? Yes, I do actually. Thank God for technology. That's why I have a lot of out-of-town clients, clients who live far. So I may see them, depending on what, I may see them one-on-one personally, physically, if I have to do the diagnostics like pulse and tongue and facial and posture and all of that. Um, but some clients are coming strictly for counseling mm. as opposed to correcting an imbalance. I mean, although it goes hand in hand and at some point they'll come see me. So I do work online via Zoom. It works out really well. It's like being in the, like we are, you are. Yeah, exactly. So tell us, tell us yeah. how to find you if we're interested in, in connecting with you and talking with you specifically one-on-one. Okay. So go to my website, ayurvedichealingcenter.com. Under the healing services tab, drop down menu, you're going to find initial consultation questionnaire. So I want you to fill out the 10 questions. It'll help you focus on why you need me in the first place. It'll help me see what's going on with you. So based on that, I'll send you an email saying, okay, I'm going to call you Wednesday, 10 10 o'clock. It's in half an hour, no charge for this, just to have a conversation with them an introduction just so I know I can explain to them how this works and I can get to know their um, their issues a little bit better and then after that when they're ready they're like oh this is what I'm ready to do and I go ahead and I book their first appointment okay great well that's wonderful and I will actually put that in the notes that go below this video so people can 
know where to go. Okay. So thank you so much, Mina. This was great. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful thank conversation. You. So thank you. It's been a pleasure working with you. Thank you for having me. And you asked some really, really great questions. Oh, thank you. You gave some really great answers. <laughs> thank All you right. so much. <laughs> so thanks again. Thank you.